You are listening to the Living Way Church podcast. For more information about Living Way Church, go to livingwaychurch.cc. Welcome to Living Way Church this morning. We're continuing our series called Move, and we're talking about how we have been commissioned with a show-and-tell life. That means we are not just to show God's love. We are to speak and tell of God's love for us through the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we've been talking about how to share your faith, the risk to move out of our comfort zone, to actually move across our yard line or out of that cubicle or, or even to, uh, to not just go across the street, but maybe to go across the sea. Uh, Matthew and Mark and Acts give us a great uh, challenge. These are what are known as the Great Commission. That means God's mission, the mission that Christ gave us together co Mission, this is something we do together. So Mark 16, 15, Jesus said, go is move. Everybody move into the world. Go into the world. That means no one is to be left out and preach. That means tell, speak, and proclaim. Remember, we have a show and tell message, the gospel. That is the good news of Jesus to all creation. Matthew 28, 19, the Great Commission also says, therefore, go, that's move, go and make disciples. Disciples, the word literally means followers of Jesus. So followers, that is, you are to make followers of Jesus, people that move as well. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, which which means we need to know what we believe and that there's there's a doctrine attached to what we are teaching. Uh, Acts 1-8, after the resurrection, the last time he appeared to them, he gave them the Great Commission again, and he says, you, speaking to disciples, will be my witnesses. That means you will be people who will proclaim, tell, and reflect. You will be show and tell people. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, that's daily missions, to Judea and Samaria, that's local missions, and to the ends of the earth, that's global missions. We are called to be intentional, to be mindful, and deliberate. And the challenge of the scriptures is is not that we are merely just to, to have this knowledge, but we are to respond. A follower's response, someone who's a follower of Christ, the response is, God, here I am, my successes and my failures, my talents and my treasures. God, you can have all of them. All of it is yours so that the world might know. That is why we live. And I say this all the time, that if you are not a Christian, you have one purpose in life, and that is to know Jesus, to find him and to know him and to develop that relationship with him. If you are a follower of Jesus, you have two missions. One is to know him and to make him known. That's it. That's all you are breathing air for. And if you have a family, your number one mission is to make him known to your family, to your husband, to your wife, to your children, and then to the world. So we've been asking the, the difficult questions of sharing our faith with people. And uh, as we're ramping up towards Easter, I want you guys to be constantly thinking about who you're going to move out of your comfort zone and ask to come to church. You know, during the month of Easter, people are 80% more likely to say yes to an invitation to church than any other time of year. So if you have this friend or this coworker or family member you're trying to get to visit or to come to church or to share your faith with, this is the time. Uh, but what about all those questions that people have? Well, First Peter, uh, the Apostle Peter tells us this in chapter 3, verse 15 and 16. He says, be prepared 
to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience. That means having a life that doesn't cause someone to miss Jesus. So you, you share your faith with gentleness, with respect, and with this idea that your life backs up your words. So last week we laid a foundation of this idea and we talked about what is truth and, and how if there is truth, then there is false. And if there is truth, then there is right. And if there is right, there is wrong. And opposing answers cannot both be true. So somebody is right and somebody is wrong. And the Bible claims absolute truth. So there's the challenge. If there is truth, there's absolute truth. And if there's absolute truth, that means it's absolutely true for everyone. Well, the Bible claims that absolutely that it's true for absolutely everybody. I've got here my, in my pocket a $100 bill. Who would like a $100 bill? Then go earn it. All right. I'm not giving this away. <laughs> this is kind of a new one, and it's got all kinds of identifiable marks on it. Uh, have you, have you, anybody seen the new $100 bills? I was a bank teller for several years, uh, a few years back, and um, we were there during the transition of the last $100 bills before this and the new ones. And it was like, man, when we got them in, it was like, oh, they're so cool. Because like full color dollar bills, I mean, full color bills, you know, uh, fives and tens and twenties and fifties and hundreds. They were like, man, these things are like awesome. And they are. And the deal with bills, I mean, if you hold this one up, if you look through some of the newest bills, you can actually see the face of that person inside of the bill like this one there's a like if you hold it up you can see benjamin franklin inside of your money he's actually in there and there's uh these these tracks see there's this this magnetic field and there's these embossed uh metal and and magnetic items all this it used to be the bills just had identifiable marks and then they started implanting into the bills more things because there was a problem with counterfeit bills there's a problem. Guess what the number one most counterfeited bill is? The 100. The $100 bill is the most counterfeited bill. Uh, it is, and some of the ways that they counterfeit the bills is they will take a $5 bill and they will bleach the $5 bill and then they will print on top the $5 bill all the details of another bill, like a 20 or a 100. And the 100 is the most common and they will mix it in with other legitimate hundreds so that, uh, you know, that sometimes they don't check every single one, right? So um, it is a very highly counterfeited bill. And the way to know that something is a counterfeit is not to study the counterfeit, but to study the original. It's to study the real deal. So what we're going to do today and what we've been doing over the last couple of weeks is hopefully helping you to identify counterfeits by taking a look at what is the real, what is the truth. You see, if I were uh, to identify some items on this bill, there are so many. It's so multicolored. It's very, very cool. We're going to talk a little bit more about that in a minute. But obviously, the best way to identify a counterfeit bill is to know the real thing. The same is true with the gospel. We need to know the truth if we're going to discern the imitation. So that's what we're going to do today is we're going to try to discern some of the imitations. Last week, 
We talked about how there are three G's that we must settle into our heart, settle in our life, three things that are lacking, three things that we must be people of. And I just want to mention those quickly again today. And those three G's are, number one, God's word. Number two, the gospel. Number three is a sense of grace. Three things that are lacking, that is biblical confidence. We are to be people of God's word. The Bible is attacked It is condemned as fake, fluid, or forged. And the Bible claims absolute and exclusive truth. It says that it is God's very words and that it does not have an expiration date on it. There is not a time point where this becomes irrelevant or unrelevant or out of date or not culturally connected. The Bible says that everything in this earth will pass away, even you, but the word of God will remain forever. We unpack that verse quite a bit, those passages quite a bit. God does not change. He's not like man that he should change his mind. That's what the Bible tells us. So his opinions on something 2000 years ago, guess what are his opinions today? But we also talked about how it's important that we have to read the Bible through the eyes of the recipients, not through our eyes of today. If we read it through their eyes, we apply it to their life. Then we can understand how those principles apply to our life. But we need to understand and we need to sell it on our heart that we are people of God's word, biblical confidence. The second thing we talked about last week was that we are to be people of the gospel, that we need to have a sense of gospel clarity because there is a terrible issue in the church. Christians don't know the gospel. The word gospel means life-changing good news. And the good news of how to lead someone to know Jesus is lost in about 90% of Christians. Very, very small, small numbers of Christians are actually living out the purpose you are alive to make him known. Very few people have confidence in the Bible and very few Christians have clarity in the gospel. This is good news because it's an answer to a problem. And the gospel contains a very big problem that you and I, every one of us on the planet, we've all been born with a problem. That problem is called a sin nature. Everyone in this room is born with a bent towards rebellion and hard-heartedness and selfishness. And the gospel is good news is because Without Jesus Christ, we are already condemned in our sin. John 3 says that he who believes is not condemned, that Jesus didn't come to condemn the world, but to save the world. And anyone who believes is not condemned. But the verse continues and says, however, if you do not believe, you're already condemned. You're already condemned because our sin has already condemned us. But good news. You can be forgiven. Good news, salvation begins the moment you bow the knee to Christ. We receive this gift by faith, and we are to proclaim this gift in faith. But here's the greatest scandal of Christianity, is that Jesus claims to be that only, only way. John 14, 6, it's actually our theme verse at Living Way. Jesus answered, I am the way. That's the path, the journey. I am the route. I am the truth. That's the answer that you're looking for in your whole life, the answer to life, the answer to faith, the answer to God, the answer to heaven, the answer to the afterlife, and I am the life. That's uh, our hope for this life and our hope in the next. Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one, that means no exceptions, not a single, that means every one of you are basically a no one because no one comes to the Father except through me. 
No one can know, connect, comprehend. That little word that's huge, the definite article of the, he is the way. He is not a way, a possible way, part of a way, uh, one of many ways. He's not the truth. I mean, he is the truth, not a way, not a, a possible way or a possible truth or a possible solution or one of many in the world. He is not just one of the ways to life. He is the way, the truth, the life, the definite. First Timothy 2, 5 Paul says to, to the young pastor, Timothy, he says, for there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man, Jesus Christ. And Acts 2, Peter preaching, he says, there is no other name under heaven by which man can be saved. That is the name Jesus Christ. We unpacked that exclusively last, uh, I mean, really exhaustively last week. Guys, listen, we must have a confidence and urgency, a conviction that Jesus is the only way. Now, I want, to, want you to take a look at this graph, world religions. Uh, we are the majority in the world. There's 33% of the entire world, 7 billion people are Christians. Uh, that number varies from 31 to 33, but roughly it's 33 the second largest group in the world are Muslims. Anywhere from 21 to 25% of the entire world's population are Muslims. And then from there, it goes down quite a bit. Non-religious are going to be basically those that are the nons. They're also going to be atheists, and they're going to be uh, those that are considered agnostic. And we're going to talk a little bit about uh, that today. Also, as you go down the list, you see there's Buddhism, uh, Chinese traditions, Sikhism, Judaism is way down at the bottom. There's 0.22%, tiny, tiny number of people that are actually Jewish in the world, a Baha'i and then other. Uh, so you got to be thinking, surely, Ted, you can't be serious that there's only one way. If 70% of Americans believe that there are many ways to God, 57% of Christians believe that there are other ways to God, even though the Bible says exactly the opposite. 68% of Christians believe that the Bible can be read in many different ways and doesn't always mean what it says. We have a real problem with biblical confidence. We have a problem with gospel clarity. You might be thinking, come on, man. God will figure it out. God has already figured it out. You're right. Jesus is the way. That is what he has figured out. So we're like, come on, Ted, as, as long as we're loving and we're doing God, God will be fine. This is not our best efforts. This is not about being good. This is not about being a moral pe- a person. Jesus is the only way. In view of all these religions, you might think, gee, that's pretty narrow-minded. It is narrow-minded. Matthew seven thirteen says, enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. Do all roads lead to God? No way. But all roads except for one lead to the same place after life. That's hell. So the challenge is gospel clarity. If you believe that, like the Bible teaches, there's an urgency that we must tell the world. That's why he said, go. That's why he said, preach. That's why he said, teach. That's why he said, make disciples, reproduce yourself. Here's the third thing is authentic love. We talked about this last week. Is it uh, grace is getting what we don't deserve. And I think there's a, we are to be people of grace. People of love, people of gentleness, people of compassion. Uh, we need to be people with, with, with confidence in God's word. We need to be people who have a clarity in God's 
uh, gospel and the kingdom, gospel and the message, but we need to be people of grace, people who are kind, people who are generous, people who are patient, people who are respectful, especially those of different faiths. We are given grace freely. We are to give it away freely. We are to love greater. We are to give greater. We are to serve greater. And the challenge here, and this is big, is that we have been called to be compassionate as well as have conviction, clarity, and courage. You can have all of them. You can be courage in your faith and be compassionate. You can have clarity. You can have a sense of conviction in what you believe and still be compassionate. You can disagree with somebody and love them graciously at the same time. And that's the challenge. We are called to be people of grace and people of confidence and courage and clarity. So with that foundation, I want to talk to you about how you can share your faith with somebody. Four things to remember, and we're going to talk about them, and I'm going to, if we can get done fast enough, if I, if I can go fast enough, and I'm going to go fast, then we're going to have an open discussion. And I want you to go ahead and write this down. If you don't have it yet, you can start getting a text idea together. We're going to have open questions at the end of the service today. So 469-877-1101, that's my phone number. And I want you to text me questions For the service, I'm going to have Sean come up here and the two of us are going to answer questions concerning sharing your faith with others. And that's 469-877-1101. And if you're listening by tape, you can still text me a question. I will answer you back. So uh, here we go. Knowing the difference, four things to remember. Number one, you need to realize that what you believe matters. Let me say this loud and clear. Doctrine matters. Because a lot of people think, you know what? We just, Jesus just, it's just Jesus. doesn't matter who he is or what you believe or whether there's a hell or whether there's a heaven. It's just, as long, it's just Jesus. It's the, you know, it's, it's, let me tell you something. What you believe matters. Doctrine matters. Theology, that's the study of God. Your theology matters. The Bible tells us so. Jesus said this in Matthew 24. It says, take heed, let no man deceive you. For many shall come in my name saying, I am Christ and shall deceive many. So he says, you got to know. You got to know what I teach. You got to know what I believe. He says again in Matthew 7, beware of false prophets who will come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ravenous wolves. In John 8, we hear this. Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. This is important because the truth is God's word. Jesus is God's word in the flesh. He taught exhaustively and specifically about this life, about caring for others, as well as an eternity. He talked about the kingdom of God. The second most popular thing that he talked about is hell. And he says, if you hold to my teachings, if you understand the truth, the truth, will set you free. Acts 2.42, they said they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That's doctrine. In the early church, the church began to grow because they held true to doctrine. They held true to the apostles' doctrine and to fellowship. That's community. That's getting together and doing church stuff and events and to breaking of bread and prayer. That's corporate worship. That's what we do here. Uh, Paul challenges in Titus 1, he says, 
talking about leaders, he says they or he must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. In chapter 2, verse 1, he says, you must teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. Guys, listen, what you believe matters. If people start telling you God will figure it all out, Jesus will figure it all out, and start slamming and bashing doctrinal discussions and theology, beware, because they are probably not sure what they believe and are accepting all kinds of crazy things. The Bible exhaustively in the New Testament warns over and over and over about this. What we believe about Jesus matters. In fact, this is essential. First John 4, 1 and 6 says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit. That means every person, every dream, every vision, every near-death experience, every supernatural event. Don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you will know the spirit, that it is the spirit of God. This is how you'll know. Every spirit or person that confesses that Jesus Christ, the promised redeemer who died on the cross for us, that's what Jesus Christ means, that this Jesus, our Savior, who died for our sins, has come in the flesh. That means that he is God in the flesh. He's from God. That's how you know. Okay? And then he goes on to say, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. So if they are accurately telling and proclaiming who Jesus is, that's a quick indicator of who they are, whether it's true or not. Second thing to remember is remember that some of our greatest threats are from within. It's something we, we forget. Sometimes uh, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of counterfeits passed around in the church. There's a lot of churches that are, that are counterfeit. There's a lot of preachers that are counterfeits. There's a lot of Christians that are counterfeits. There's a lot of pastors. There's a lot of authors. There's a lot of, uh, uh, you know, people doing good things that are counterfeits. And the Bible warns us that a lot of our counterfeits, a lot of those that we need to be aware of, come from within. This is what it says, a warning to pastors and leaders in Acts 20. The Apostle Paul was saying goodbye to the elders of Ephesus. He's leaving them possibly never to see them again. And this is what he says to them. He says, keep watch over yourselves and all the flock for which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you. I will not spare the flock. Guys, listen, I have a biblical mandate. I have a biblical obligation to teach the truth and to warn you about wolves. I have an obligation. Every good pastor has an obligation. If they don't address this, they're denying what we are challenged and charged to do as good shepherds. Paul, even in some of his other letters, names names and lists people. He says, stay away from this person and this person. This person's a wolf. He, he, man, Paul was serious about protecting the church. He goes on to say, he says, even from your own number. People in your own church, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw many disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. He says, man, this is intense. This is serious. Be aware. And don't just look at the outside of the church as those that are trying to deceive the world. There are people in the church that are trying to 
deceive the world, even good-hearted, sincere people. He says many cults uh, of, of, of Paul's day started, in fact, in the churches. Second Peter 2, 1, Paul says, uh, Peter says this, but false prophets also arose from among the people. Talking about from among the church. Just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who brought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. Paul says this to the church in Corinthians. He says they might even do good things. He says, for such people are false prophets, deceitful workers masquerading as apostles of Christ. And no wonder for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. He says, there's going to be guys, there's going to be women, there's going to be people who they're doing good things. They seem to be righteous. He says, it's not surprising then if his servants also masquerade as servants of righteousness. He says, but their end will be their, will be what their actions deserve. He says, be aware that just because somebody's doing good things in the name of Christ doesn't mean they are of Christ. And I have this extra in your notes, and we, this is, I don't really want to talk about this for too long, but I do want to mention this. What to look for in a pastor, a spiritual leader, an author, or a teacher, or a missionary. If you're looking to support someone in ministry, these are three things that you must be looking for. And you must be looking for their character. Are they living a life that reflects the character of God? Are they living a life that says, I am a follower of Christ in my actions, in my lifestyle choices? And then you ask the question of their conduct. That's number two. Are they living a life of love and and, and justice? And are they living a life of care and concern for the lost and for the world? And the third thing is you need to look at their theology. Because the three of these together make for someone that is reliable. Because I know a lot of pastors have good theology and good conduct, but their character is terrible. And I know a lot of pastors that have, you know, good character and good conduct, but their theology is terrible. And there are people that have good character and they have good theology, but their conduct is terrible. You see, the three of these, the Bible says, this is what you need to look for in your leaders, in the people that you support, in that writer. That See, when you read a book... You're allowing that person for hours and hours and hours to impart into your life. If you're not solid in what you believe, if you don't have a clarity and a confidence in God's word, and you read a book that is not by an author, by someone who's going to encourage you in that understanding, and you're not solid in that, you will be swayed away because of bad theology. You need to be aware. These are issues that are not, you know, there's always going to be issues that are not essential to, to our fellowship. The Bible, you know, we have our doctrinal statement is unity in the essentials, liberty in the non-essentials, charity in all. I mean, there's going to be some of you and, you know, we, we're not going to agree on every single theological thing. But the essentials we hold, we must hold with a tight fist. The essentials we must hold firmly. These essentials we must stand in unity. Who Christ is the need for salvation, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, the character and identity of God, the reality of the afterlife, the urgency to tell the world. These are things that we must hold firm to in unity. There are things that we can de, uh, you know, debate. There are things that we can discuss that we don't need to divide over, but we must hold true to what is essential. And that's what you need to look for. So I think there's an epidemic of mass proportion of counterfeit gospels. I want to talk about those for a minute. 
counterfeit gospels. Again, we're talking about counterfeits. Got this $100 bill. And uh, some of you, I could probably pass off some counterfeits to you if you didn't know any better. But I've had to, as a teller, spend time identifying the truth, identifying true bills. So uh, actually I had an experience when I was a teller when I, uh, I was, I was uh, in the drive-thru and this person had deposited like $400 and, uh, and I was going through of them and one of them just looked fishy. And, you know, if you do that marker on it, if it's a, if it's a bleach $5 bill counterfeit, that yellow mark still shows up because it's made out of the material that a dollar bill should be made out of or a, a bill should be made out of. So I, I began to look at it and I began to, uh, you know, I found a lot of discrepancies in that bill, you know. And, and so I called in my manager, and we had that lady come in, and we, uh, we called the police. And uh, it was a pretty big deal. She was passing off a counterfeit. And it turned out that um, it was part of a big scam of uh, counterfeit $100 bills, and they were, you know, blending them in with other $100 bills. So um, I would have known that if I didn't know the truth. So let's kind of look at some counterfeits, kind of see, knowing what we know. Uh, some things that are not the gospel uh, that pass off as gospels, and that is the Happy Meal gospel. That's Jesus is Ronald McDonald. He's the supersized me God. He's like, yeah, just give me more. He's the party Jesus. He's the one that just wants to have fun. You know, drinks are on him. He's ready just to have a good time. Uh, the challenge with the Happy Meal Jesus is that there's a tremendous amount of disillusionment when real life sets in and they realize that life is not uh, supersized, that life is not an add-on, that life, Jesus is not an add-on to our life. He is our life. He's not the solution to our problems. He's the sense of peace in the midst of our trials and problems. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. That's what he said. But good news, he says, I've overcome the world. That's John 16, 33. Another thing that's not the gospel is the bless me gospel. Some of you guys know this. He's the vending machine gospel. He's the cha-ching and health gospel. He's known as the prosperity gospel. This is the, this is the church. This is the preacher. This is the book that likes to talk about your best life now. How to get what you always want. That you can name it and claim it and obtain it. You can blab it and grab it and it can be yours. This is that sense that, that sin is not an obstacle uh, to, to God, but it's an obstacle to what we want. And so they look at God as some sort of Santa Claus. And I tell you what, sin is not an obstacle to our desire. Sin is a rebellion of the heart. And Jesus didn't come in to make our life better. He came to radically alter it. Another counterfeit is the counterfeit of the self-help gospel. This is Jesus as the guru, the therapist, or the motivational speaker. This is the Jesus who's here to boost your self-esteem. You can do it. You can do all things. Uh, you know, even if you are untalented, you can still do it. Even if you're not able to sing, you can still do it. You know, all these things. Just do it. Just believe. Just have faith. He's the guru, Jesus. He's here to help, here to fix, here to make you feel better about yourself. See, the problem is, is not that we feel guilty. The problem is that we are guilty. Jesus is not only a help in life. He's our only rescue in life. Here's another counterfeit gospel, and that is the moral gospel, that Jesus is here somehow to help you to be a good person. 
Some people uh, in the church around the world, and predominantly in America, they're, they're not followers of Christ. They're Christians by religion. They've found it to be a good way to be a good person. You know, some guys start going to church to find a good gal to marry. Or girls or guys, they, they start going to church to try to get their life back on track, to become a better person, to get cleaned up. And then somehow just to, you know, to be cleaned up, to be a good person, to be a patriot, to, to be a kind person, we're good. That somehow our good deeds will outweigh our sin. Well, the problem is that there's not a single good deed that can cover our sin. Isaiah 64 says that all our righteous acts are like filthy rags to God. Here's another counterfeit gospel, and that is the activist gospel. The activist gospel is the Jesus, the social worker, Jesus as the campaigner, that we're here to make the world a better place, so get out there and let's do it. And somehow uh, there's this whole movement right now where churches, they call them campaign churches, and instead of meeting together to teach, they just get together, they throw out the Bible, they say it's all a conversation piece. Anyhow, it's more of a discussion starter, but the church is just a campaign to make active change in the world, so they get together to talk about how they're going to clean up their city, you know, do food can drives and all that stuff that is important and good. Like, listen, listen to me. The world needs help. The world needs you. People are hurting. People are hungry. People are hopeless. But the Bibles tell us, the Bible tells us, Jesus and in Deuteronomy, it says that no man can live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Mark 8, Jesus said, what does it benefit if someone gains the whole world, has all of their needs met, but forfeits their own soul? You see, the activist or the the good deeds or the, the social work of Jesus, the gospel is not enough. It's not the gospel at all. The gospel is not social action. Caring for the hurting is a result of what happens to someone who has the gospel. It is not itself the good news. And here's the last one, probably the biggest counterfeit, and I call it the love gospel. The love gospel is basically Jesus, the great lover. Jesus, love wins. We've all been there, you know, and we're all thinking, man, Jesus is just love. This is the part where some of you might even struggle, and that is he's the judgmentless gospel. It's a focus on God's goodness at the expense of his holiness. It's often a sinless gospel where the only sin in this gospel is the sin not to love. And that somehow the Bible is not absolute truth. It's more of a conversation than a constitution, that it's more of a sign that points away for discussion rather than a map that gives directions to a final destination. A lot of us, we begin to conjure, uh, you know, uh, uh, we, we begin to uh, compromise God's word as a result. And the biggest problem with this is that it contradicts almost the majority of the entire Bible. You have to literally exclude large portions because this is the counterfeit that often claims that hell is unjust and that everyone will eventually make it to heaven, that the gospel, uh, this gospel, this false gospel embraces universalism, that somehow everyone will make it to heaven or inclusivism where it doesn't matter who you are, what you believe, or whether you're a Hindu or a Christian, it doesn't matter where you are on the graph. Jesus died and he won it all for everybody and you don't even have to accept him or receive him. But that's not what the Bible says. It's known as pluralism, where you can have opposite, completely opposite views and theology that coexist together. And this is what has to happen in order for someone to be a counterfeit of this kind. Some of the authors that you need to stay away from that ascribe to this are guys like Rob Bell. 
Brian McLaren, Tony Jones, Shane Claiborne, William Paul Young. And you might think, but they sound so good. They sound so loving and they're so gracious and they're all about caring for people and everything. That's great. We need to care. A book I would suggest rather is Radical by David Platt, which talks about how to make a difference in the world and to embrace the truth of the gospel. But see, here's the problem is Jeremiah 17, 9 says, the heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? I alone, the Lord, search the heart. I alone test the mind. Guys, listen, we cannot rest our theology, our belief and our support based on feelings, based upon our heart, based upon what seems emotionally to be right. Because our heart will lead us astray. Our heart will lead us down dark paths, will lead us away from our family, will lead us into affairs, will lead us down a path theologically that is false, good in action, but false in belief and doctrine. We cannot trust our feelings. We cannot trust our heart. We cannot trust our emotions. We can trust the word of God. When we take away God's judgment, we lose the magnitude of God's holiness, the gravity of our sin, and the extent of his amazing grace. When we start to say that God is loving, that God will not or would never send anyone to hell, guys, listen, we're already condemned according to Jesus. He says, I've come not to condemn, but to rescue you. However, if you believe, you're not condemned. But if you don't believe, you're already condemned. Jesus said that, John 3, 16, 17, and 18. The good news is Jesus is not that we are okay, but that we are not okay. It's something that we are to respond to with surrender. Counterfeit gospels are appealing because they cost us little in the eyes of the world. We can be and continue any path of lifestyle or choice that we want to as long as we just love others. The love gospel is a counterfeit. Galatians 1, 6 through 8 says this, I am astonished. Paul is writing to the church The church is in Galatia. He says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven, doesn't matter who it is, if they should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. Counterfeit gospels have a tendency to isolate or omit verses, leaving the gospel powerless. Just like in 2 Timothy 5, he says there are those that have a form of godliness, but they deny the power of God. Much of the New Testament addresses false gospels, and as a result, the New Testament is under attack. There are those in the church, there are those in the world that say that the apostles are not those that can accurately give us God's word. And so they begin to question everything that's not written in red. Jesus commissioned his apostles to proclaim his truth. He personally blew the spirit of God into them and said, you are my mouthpieces to the world. He says, the spirit will remind you and teach you and you are to write down and to proclaim what I tell you. What we have from the apostles is reliable. And because they address these counterfeits, there's an attack on their words. So what about the cults? Remember, we are to test the spirits. Here's number three. Remember to do the math. I'm going to hit this really fast. I'm going to have Sean, if you want to go ahead and come down and get ready. If you want to text me, my number is 469 
1101. Why don't you grab that stool on your way over? 469-877-1101. Remember to do the math when discerning a cult. Remember, we can't spend all day learning every single cult. I can't sit here or stand here and go through every cult. I, I could tell you because I'm like, like I'm fascinated with world religion and cults. So I, if you have a direct question, I can answer that. But it would almost be impossible for us to go through them all. So uh, here's a simple way to discern the truth. It's as easy as doing the math. All right, identifying uh, identifiable traits. Defining, by the way, a cult in Christianity is any group that says they are Christian but teach a different gospel than the one that the apostles taught. So that would be considered a cult to a Christian. So here we go. Add, subtract, multiply, and divide. It's simple. If you want to discern what a cult is, simply ask yourself, add. Do they add to the word of God? Because cults often add additional books to the Bible or have a modern-day prophet or often give new scripture or they say they alone can tell you the truth of the scripture. They add to the word of God. But Deuteronomy says, you should not add to the word which I command you nor take from it that you keep the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you. Proverbs 35 and 6 says, Every word is pure. He is a shield. Every word of God is pure. He is a shield to those who put their trust in him. Do not add to his words, lest he rebuke you and you be found a liar. Here's the second thing. Not only do you ask, do they add to the word of God, but you ask, subtract. Do they subtract from the person of Jesus? You see, this addresses the identity of Christ that we talked about earlier. Foundational truth is this. Jesus is fully God. Jesus is fully man. He didn't become God. He's always been God. He is the Alpha and Omega, the everlasting to everlasting. He didn't become God 2,500 years ago. He has always been and will always be God. But 2,000 years ago, God became a man. God in the flesh. That's the word Emmanuel. God with us. God revealed fully and wholly. We read those verses earlier. See, cults, they often respect Jesus, but they downgrade Jesus to a prophet, a man, creation, a little God, a half God, someone filled with God, an actual offspring child of God. There's often a complete subtraction of the Trinity. These are things that identify a cult. This is what 2 Corinthians says, but I'm afraid just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes to you and preaches another Jesus other than the Jesus we preached, or if you receive different spirit from the spirit you received or a different gospel than one you accepted, he says you put up with it easily. That means blow it off. That means don't give it attention. Don't give it care. Don't make a big deal about it. Just blow it off. Okay, this is the third thing. Do they add? Do they subtract? Do they multiply? That means do they multiply what it takes to be saved? See, cults often like to add stuff to salvation. They often like to say, if you do our rules, follow our plans, jump through our hoops, live your life our way, follow our instructions, wear our clothing and do things our way, then somehow you're going to work your way to heaven. This is what the Bible says, Ephesians Two, Romans 3, Romans 11, and Galatians 2. I'm just going to read them all. It says, For by grace you've been saved through faith, and not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should both. Romans says, This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Romans 11, For it is by grace it is no longer on the basis of works, otherwise grace would no longer be grace. Galatians 2, Know that a person is not justified or made right with God by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus 
Christ. See, here's what cults like they do. They like to do faith plus works equals salvation. That's wrong. That's a cult. Christ says faith equals salvation plus works follow. You see, it's only through faith alone. And when a group says it's faith plus anything, it's probably a cult. Here's another thing. Do they add, multiply, do they subtract, or do they divide? Do they divide people and do they divide their followers' loyalty? That means do they often dictate and tell followers to isolate themselves from family or from other organizations or from other teachers? Um, they don't allow you to read other books or to, to uh, listen to other ministers. It's often they are told to follow a man, uh, and this man only. They're called to follow an organization, and that organization only attempts to control their feelings and emotions. They divide their followers' loyalties by saying, you cannot be loyal to God unless you are loyal to us. Cults teach that their group represents the only true church, and there's no salvation outside of their group. Do they divide themselves? Here's a verse I want to read. Titus 3.9. He says, um, Avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing to do with them. Knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. The last thing I want to talk about, and we're going we're gonna to give you a chance to ask questions. We're probably going to go a couple minutes beyond 469-877-1101, if you want to start texting me questions, is this. The last thing, this, if you want to share your faith, is remember your story and how God reached you. Very simple. Remember your story and how God reached you. How did you meet Christ? What kind of change did that mean for you? What was your life before you met Jesus? How did you meet Jesus? And what difference did Jesus make? That's your story. We are to know your story, and you are to know the gospel story. I love this final verse in Titus chapter 3. Verse 2, he says, Speak evil of no one. He's talking about Christians in relation to the rest of the world. He says, Speak evil to no one. Avoid quarreling. Talking about sharing your faith. Be gentle. Show perfect courtesy towards all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. He says, remember how you were. Don't forget your story. And he says, but when the goodness of the loving kindness of God, our Savior appeared, he saved us. Remember how God met you. Remember how God saved you. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. It was nothing you did. It was all Jesus by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the spirit. That means you were made new by the spirit of God, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our savior. Our role is to speak the truth in love and to pray for those that don't know that they might understand. So let's, uh, let's spend a few moments answering some questions. And I've got a few and I'm going to read them and we're going to take turns. Um, Four six nine eight seven seven one one zero. Four six nine eight seven seven one one zero one. Now these are questions based on how to help you lead someone to know Christ better. So, uh, questions about cults. This would be a good time to ask questions about cults. Uh, Sean is a scientist. 
and he's a really smart. We both are enjoy discussions on apologetics and creation, but he has a great scientific answer to a lot of the questions of evolution and atheism concerning that. Um, this person says, when God comes, will he take children and what age get to go? At what point is a person accountable for their, uh, the sin that they are born into and born with? Uh, the Bible gives um, indication, you know, Jesus said, you know, come to me like these children. He says, these, these children, you know, they got it. And David, he talks about how his infant that died, that he's going to see him in the afterlife. And uh, I think when we understand uh, the knowledge of good and evil and we understand the concepts of sin, and that's different for different people, um, that is when we become accountable to the sin that we are born into. Uh, do you want to comment on that? I concur. Okay. All right. Uh, this person says, uh, I don't know enough about that particular um, organization. There, it's not an organization, it's a specific, a specific church. And before I can answer that, I'll have to, have to look into more of that. Um, it's a church in town, so I can't <laughs> rather not comment on that right now. Um, what do we do when telling someone about Christ turn uh, about Christ, and it turns into an argument rather than a conversation? I did not want an argument, but it turned out that way. What if we're not ready? So uh, I could answer, but I'm going to give you a chance to answer. I think uh, first, if you're in a conversation about Christ to anyone, it should be out of relationship. Hopefully, not always is, but. Uh, it should be out of relationship, and it should be out of conversation. Uh, but mostly I would say I'm waiting for the Holy Spirit to guide me to talk and, and not me just jumping in. Sometimes I get overwhelmed with the ability of this person needs to be saved. It's not my job. My job is to listen to the Holy Spirit and respond to, to his leading. And when I'm listening to the Holy Spirit and responding to his leading and I'm, I'm looking at conversation and I'm soft-hearted and I'm praying, a lot of times when I'm talking to people about Christ, I'm praying, like in my background the whole time. And, and that kind of leads me away from arguments because I'm not in it for an argument. I'm not in it to win. I'm not in it to prove anything. I'm in it to talk to them about who Christ is and, and how they can have a relationship. You know, the, these verses, we speak with gentleness, with respect, with kindness, with people of grace, remember? So we're, we, there are Christians that love to argue. Well, shame on you because that's not, that's not reflect, that's you trying to win. And like Sean said, we're not here to, to, to win an argument. We're here to let the Holy Spirit uh, use us so that they might win in Christ, right? So it's not about us winning an argument. So you definitely want to be careful. And I feel for you on that because I, I like to argue and I like to prove and win. It's it's kind of who I am and what I was raised to be. But you really have to fight that. You have to fight that desire to win. And, and what, what I do is to avoid arguing with people is I keep the message of the gospel. I keep the message of the gospel because we're not – here to convert someone's belief system out of that X, Y, Z, we are to lead them into an understanding of the truth of the gospel of Christ. And once somebody acknowledges the truth of Christ and they are made new in Christ, all of a sudden their eyes are open to some of the lies that they believed and the word of God begins to correct and and challenge and, and put us back on course. So if I were you, I would focus not on, you know, debate issues, and let's say just want to, your friendly conversation, zero in on the gospel of Jesus. There's a good question here. Um, it says, do people in tribes who have never heard the gospel go to hell? And I figured that would come up, so I have a verse ready. 
And uh, the, there's a question is what if someone's never heard about Jesus? Do that? Do they still go to hell? Well, according to the Bible, yes. Here's the, here's the reason. We're already condemned. We are already, the entire world is already dead in sin. And it's only through believing in Christ alone. The Bible is, that's why we are to go. That's why if you don't believe this, really, if you really don't believe this, you won't go. But if you really believe the gospel, if you really believe the scriptures, you will go. You will move. You will do something. This is what it says in Revelation 21. It says, talking about those that go to hell, it says, He who is seated on the throne said, I'm making everything new. Then he said, write this down. This is Revelation 21, beginning with verse 5. He says, write this down. He says, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost for the spring of the water of life. He says, for anybody that comes to me, I will restore them and give them life. He says, but, he says, those who are victorious will inherit all of this. And I will be their God and they will be my children. But, he says, the cowardly. That means those who, he's talking to a generation of people, of Christians who are actually denying Christ in the midst of persecution. And he says, but the cowardly, he says, the unbelieving, he says, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts like paganism, those who are pagans and and have, you know, new age beliefs, the idolaters, that means those who worship false idols, even if they sincerely worship a false idol. He says, he says, they will all be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. He says, in Christ, you have life. Apart from Christ, there's just as if we have eternal life, there is eternal punishment. And that's a challenge. And if we believe that, we will go. I would, I would say, uh, add to that, uh, one of my favorite people that you can read that is going to give you a lot on the gospel is John Piper. And he says, we're either going to tell people about Christ. We're giving to causes that, that help people know about Christ or we're disobedient. I think that idea that what you're hearing there is that there are people going to hell because we're not going to tell them is really, really important. Us sitting here and not telling people about Christ because we're uncomfortable is literally damning people to hell. We're responsible for that. And so I think that's a big motivation on my part to tell as many people as I can that, uh, or, or give to organizations that are going to tell people. Uh, that way, I don't have to go to stand before God and answer for that. I, I don't want to be before the, God. The only option that. to this is to embrace the, the word of God or to ignore it. And a lot of groups, they just ignore it because they just can't, they can't, they can't imagine that God would ever do that. You see, they're, they're missing the point. We're already condemned. We're already dead in sin. He didn't come to condemn. He came to rescue anyone who believes will not be condemned. It's you have hope. That's why it's good news. That's why the gospel is good news. And so oftentimes Christians and some of you are going to even walk out or going, I just don't believe that. Well, that's, that's kind of a line in the sand for, for some followers of Christ where they say, you know, I like the culture, but I don't like the doctrine. Well, you've just kind of discounted the words of Christ. This person says, do you think it's okay to move in with a nonbeliever as a friend? Uh, some I've spoken to say, yes, you could be the light for them. Others say no, because their lifestyle um, could uh, put me in an unsafe place. But if I could share my faith, is it okay? Uh, I have a thought, but I want you. Uh, I, I tend to fall back on scripture here. It says, don't be unequally yoked. 
that means anything. It doesn't just mean marriage. It means business partners. It means people you share intimate parts of your life with, which a house or, or an apartment would be that. Um, I think it's just too risky to put yourself in that situation. I, I find that those situations more often than not tend to drag the believer down instead of building the unbeliever up. But that's just experience speaking. And then the gospel verse that says it's not wise, I think would go with that. Yeah, I, I would probably have a little bit more leniency on that. I would think if you are strong in your faith and and you have a common agreement of how that house is going to be done, like for instance, you're not going to be partying there. There's not going to be like the, you know, that you guys have an agreement on conduct in the house, you might have a positive influence in their house uh, and in that house. But uh, if you are not strong, then, then you'll be torn down. You'll, 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 you'll not be the victor there. You'll be the person who will stop. I've seen it done with like two believers and an unbeliever. Well, I think that would mm-hmm. maybe give some, some strength and that you're standing together with a partner in Christ. And that way you can help each other accountable. But I just feel like that one-on-one can be, like you said, if you're not strong in your faith, it can be really dangerous. Um, okay. I want to understand that question. How do people, how do you help to shed light on Islam when the message is that the religion is a peaceful religion and just let them be. Uh, I first want to say that I don't think all Muslims are out to blow up mm-hmm. the mall. And and I think there are probably, um, I don't know if you guys like Kareem Abdul-Jabbar or there's all kinds of actors in Hollywood and movies that you pay to go see. And there's musicians that some of you guys probably listen to. You may never realize that they're Muslim. There are people and coworkers that, that are uh, people who are not what you'd be con- not would be considered radical Middle Eastern Muslim types. Um, Islam, just like many faiths, is a false faith, uh, and a large portion of Muslims in the world have a very they hold true to Muhammad, which is a very violent religion. Muhammad was not a peaceful follower of Allah. Allah was a false deity. Muhammad was a warrior. He uh, he believed in in uh, in murder and and in uh, and the, in guaranteeing salvation through murder. So uh, some of our American Muslims are more conservative. They're, they would be considered liberal in the Muslim world. They're 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 good people, but they still need Jesus uh, because it's a false faith. However, the threat of of, of Islam, radical Islam, is really growing in the world. That's for sure, and even it's growing here. With uh, with I like the thing about Islam though is that they tend to take a lot of the Old Testament and weave that into what they believe. So if you get someone that's not a radical Islam, Islam Islamist, you can really have some pretty deep discussions on Old Testament and who God is and what justice is. They they really key on justice. So if you can talk about how it's not just to go to heaven if you're a sinner and you can get them talking on that, you have some real inroads in the Islam community to talk about God. And, but you really need to stick Old Testament because that's where you're going to agree. Right. It's going to be your best inroad to talk to them and have a conversation. They're not going to see the New Testament, though they do believe it's a holy book. You have a lot of inroads in Islam to talk and about you know, Christ. In a, in a lot of these world religions, you have something that nobody else has, salvation through grace. You have peace in your walk with God. Uh, in Islam, Allah is not knowable. He's, uh, he's not that good, and they never know if they're right with God. Um, in Christ, he is good. He's noble. You can have peace. You can have a relationship. He's a good God who cares about you. And that's what a lot of religions of the world do not have. They're trying to work their way to know this God who's vindictive, 
but not us. This person asks, if a Jehovah's Witness tries to talk to you about their beliefs, do we just turn them away and ignore them? Nope. Not me. No, no. Invite <laughs> when they in. come to my door, they're running because uh, they'll literally. Actually, they'll actually rather not talk to you than yeah. you to them. They're more scared of you than you are of them. I, I promise you. They're like a poisonous spider. They'd rather get away. Yeah, when they, when um, they come to my door, uh, and I'm like, yeah, let's talk. I pull up the Bible. Let's talk about it. And I, I know some verses that are challenging for them to accept and believe. So I immediately start talking to them about Jesus and uh, talking to them about about Jesus being God because that's a really tough point for them. And, uh, so yeah, I wouldn't turn them away. Uh, but if you know what you're talking about, they'll either do one of two things. They'll either say, we're done here, mm-hmm. uh, uh, and they'll leave. Uh, or they might actually engage through the Spirit and you'll be able to show seeds, uh, sow seeds in their I, w- I would say my advice is stay on the Jesus. Uh, that is where they fail. They don't believe Jesus is God. They don't believe Jesus. Je- they believe Jesus was made like us. Stay on Jesus. Proving the deity of Jesus is how you lead Jehovah's Witness to, to Christ. Uh, Jesus, Jesus, all the time. Just stay right there. Okay. Some of these questions I'll have to ask or uh, answer uh, personally. Um, with a text back to you, whatever I don't a- answer, I will get back. Um, Can I recommend a couple books for Islam and um, Mormonism and Jehovah's Witness since those are the big three? Mm-hmm. Okay. If you want to witness to um, Muslims or to uh, Mormons, there's two good books out there by Ron Rhodes. Um, i got to remember the names. I wrote them down. Um, Reasoning from Scriptures with Mormons and Reasoning from Scriptures with Muslims are two excellent books to kind of prepare you to talk to those groups. And then on Jehovah's Witness, a book by David Reed called uh, Jehovah's Witness Answered with Scripture. Those are three excellent books. If you want to be able to witness to those people, prepare to witness to those people, they will they will give you what you, the tools you need in which to talk to them, in which to argue from Scripture, which I think is your best base. Uh, I'm just going to answer this last one because it's a good one. There's several on here, but I'm going to answer this one. Someone says, uh, if people have never heard, uh, doesn't the age of accountability uh, contradict itself? And if we give grace to kids who don't understand morality, how do we give grace to people who've never been taught that morality? Uh, the Bible is pretty clear on this, uh, that there is sin is, there's two types of sin. There's sins of omission and sins of commission. That means sins that you do and sins that are a result of something you don't do. And I think around the world, that the age of accountability applies to children. So kids in Africa uh, who are under the age of accountability, whatever that might be for that person, I believe, uh, who, who don't know or understand the concept of good and evil, I think it begins, honestly, around five, six, or seven is when the understanding of sin uh, begins to set in. That's why we have kid venture. That's why we don't just go over there and play games with them all day. Uh, because we believe over there is, is the seeds of the gospel. We give them a chance to know Jesus. We want them to know Jesus at the earliest possible age because we believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Bible says in Romans 1 that no one is without excuse because the world itself tells us that God is good and has designed for us. And if we believe that, that's a condemning truth, not a saving truth. But if we believe that, however, And we seek to know that good God. God is faithful to reveal himself to those that seek him. That's what the Bible says. Some of you here are sitting here with a tug on your heart for mission. You know why? That's because somebody on the other side of the world is saying, God, I want to know you. Send me. This is one last verse I want to read. And the powerful verse, it says, Romans 10, How then will they call on him in who they have not believed? How will they believe in him 
whom they have not heard. And how will they hear unless somebody tells them? How will they be told unless they are sent? It's in Romans 10, 14. Guys, listen, we are called to move. If you have more questions about this, about evolution or stuff, you can text me or Sean. We'd love to talk to you more about it. Thank you for listening to the Living Way Church podcast. If you enjoyed this message, we hope you come visit us in Garland, Texas. For directions and more information about the church, go to www.livingwaychurch.cc.